last weekend I was in Seattle, and here's why I'm going to preach this. I flew up to Seattle. Uh, as I was flying up, it was a beautiful, clear day, and you see the three sisters. What? There's three mountains there that you see as you fly up, and they're called faith, faith, and charity. Okay, then there's Mount Rainier, which is closer to Seattle. There's Mount Hood in Oregon. And then there's one that you're really familiar with. Mount, very good. Say it again. Mount St. Helens. And so it triggered a thought in my mind about what's going on today. I mean, is it me or every week we turn on the television and there's a shooting, a killing, some senseless violence going on, and it's almost becoming a common thing now. Last week it was in Thousand Oaks. Two weeks ago it was in Pittsburgh. They're going into churches, synagogues, malls, theaters. And people are saying, what in the world is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. Uh, here's, what my, here's what I think. Because I look to the Word of God for these answers. Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 1, and that's not my scripture tonight, but in Romans, he's speaking to the Roman Empire, and he's talking about the Roman Empire, how it just doesn't acknowledge God. And it's referred to as godlessness. Right? And he says we have to be careful about godlessness. Godlessness is not saying there is no God. Godlessness is not atheism or agnosticism. Godlessness, watch this now, is saying, God, we know you're there. We believe in you, but you're just not that important enough for us to take you into account of our life. Every major denomination, right, every major in the world, including the Roman Catholics, Southern Baptists, Seminary of God, Methodists, Lutheran, all of them, are all reporting a decline in church attendance. That's why as you drive around the area here, you see all these big churches with 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 people in them. That's not across the board. There are churches that are growing. There are thriving churches, right? But the majority of churches today are in decline. Only two movements, two, have reported church attendance, uh, an increase in church attendance. And they are the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses. Yeah, that's what I said. But I didn't say, wow, I said, ow. Oh. Because it hurts. But the reason is they're hitting the streets like day and night. Okay. And so what's going on here? Is that here we're supposed to be a Christian country. In God we trust, right? But here in the United States, right, God has been pushed into the corner. The most important thing on Sunday, right, is NFL football. Right? The most important thing today is our money, our property, our hobby, our sports, our business, our lives, right? People say, you know, I don't have time to go to church. Godlessness, watch this now. It's not saying there is no God. It's saying, God, you're just not that important enough. It's a lack of respect for God. Now watch this. Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 1, this is going to blow your mind, says there are three signs of a nation or an empire that is experiencing godlessness. Now see if this applies to us here in the United States. Number one, widespread immorality. Right? I don't even think I need to labor that. 
All you got to do is look at the billboards and commercials and the internet, right? All the junk that's going on today. People living together outside the bonds of matrimony, right? I mean, it's a moral lifestyle. Two, widespread homosexuality. Of course, nowadays, it's called an alternative lifestyle. It's becoming an accepted part of our society. Colorado just elected the very first homosexual governor. Okay, and now, of course, gay marriage is, is legal throughout the country. Here's the one I'm getting to, number three. The third sign of a nation that has turned its back on God is an arrogant disregard for human life. That's what's going on over there. When men, whoever it is, takes a gun into school and starts killing innocent school children, like they did in Connecticut, it's an arrogant disregard for life. Huh? When people just go into malls or theaters and start shooting people, that's an arrogant disregard for life. The warning signs are all around us. And so when I was flying to Seattle, I saw Mount St. Helens. Now, I'd seen it about, about a year after it blew up. Unbelievable. A, a sight I'll never forget. Like the whole top of the mountain was blown off, and it looked like from up there, like, like uh, toothpicks, which in reality were trees. And so tonight, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, and I want to speak to you tonight about God's warning signs. And we'll get back to Mount St. Helens in a moment. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Jesus said, as in the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days... Before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Final verse. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Let's get back to Mount St. Helens. In May 8th of 1980, geologists studied the seismographs. Scientific evidence was gathered, and finally the warning sounded that Mount St. Helens was about to explode. Forest rangers, state police, herded the tourists and the residents from the danger zone. There was radio and TV reports, blasted the airways, right, warning tourist camps, Lakeside, villages, hiking trails, they all emptied. Everyone evacuated. Hunters, campers, fishermen, everybody was told to evacuate, just like the fires that you have over here, east of here. As we flew in today, I couldn't even see Oakland. And it's not the fog, it's the smoke. Well, that's nothing compared to what Mount St. Helens had, right? Um, Everybody had to evacuate. All the people, hunters, campers, everybody, except one man. One man, and his name was Harry Truman. He was named after the president. Harry lived five miles north of Mount St. Helen. And the rangers went and warned him. The neighbors begged him. His sister, excuse me, called long distance on the phone 
and tried to beg her brother to leave the mountain, but he said no. He became kind of a folk hero, and they had a, he had a press conference. And they wanted to know, why aren't you running? Why aren't you fleeing? And here's what he said, and I quote. He said, nobody knows this mountain better than Harry Truman, and they don't dare blow up on him. Well, on May 18th, 1980, at 8.31 in the morning, the mountain exploded. It flattened everything for 150 square miles. It erupted with the force of 500 nuclear bombs. Today, years later, Harry Truman is a legend. Posters and t-shirts and mugs with his picture on it. Songs were sung about the man who was too stubborn to listen to the warning signs. Who was too stubborn, huh? but was blasted into eternity. Today, we're living in the last days. And I, I can't even remember the last time I heard a message on the last days or the second coming. But I really believe it. I've been prompted in my spirit, right, that we're living, and the warning signs are all around us here. When is Jesus Christ coming back? Is Jesus Christ coming back? This is what the apostles wanted to know. They went to the Lord there in Matthew 24, and they said, Lord, when, when is the end of the world? When are you coming back? He said, as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Right? Let's talk about the days of Noah for a moment. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. And we pick it up in Genesis chapter 6. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of every thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah, hallelujah, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Jesus said, he said, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, what was going on in the days of Noah? Well, first of all, we notice there in verse 1, there was an increase in the population. Today, we have 8 billion people on earth. Within the last 50 to 100 years, more people have been born into our society today than in any other time in history. Secondly, there was an increase in demonic activity. That's what it says there in verse 2. You say, oh, come on. Where's the demonic activity today? What do you think is motivating these idiots going with guns into schools and killing children? Or going into clubs or wherever they go, churches and synagogues. These are demon-possessed or demon-inspired or demon-obsessed people. Come on, somebody. He also says there in verse 5, there was debased wickedness. Man was doing every evil thing, right? I'm sure there was homosexuality and widespread immorality. 
And Jesus made an interesting statement there in Matthew 24, 38. He said, for as in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And what our Lord was saying here was despite all this going on in the days of Noah, life was going on. People got up, went to work, fed their families. People got married. Come on, somebody. Life as it was, with all the perverse and wickedness, was normal. Huh? That's just exactly what's going on today. This is the kind of decadent generation, right, that despite all the things that are going on within our society right now, people are getting up, they're going to work. Come on, somebody. They're going to school. People are still getting married. Life goes on. Somebody say amen. Huh? And he said, that's how it will be when the Son of Man comes. So the question is, what will you be doing uh, when Jesus comes? Huh? What will you be doing? Normal things. The Bible says, a man and wife, two men shall be working in the field. One shall be taken and one left. Let's modernize it. Two women will be walking in the mall. One taken, one left behind. Two men working on the roof. One taken, one left. In other words, it's going to be a normal day. An ordinary time. Nobody's going to see it coming. Uh, like the Bible says, like the thief in the night. Come on, somebody, say amen. But the Bible says, despite all this that was going on, Noah found grace in the sight of God. Despite all the corruption today, despite all the godlessness in our society today, there's still a generation that loves God. Somebody say amen. In their case, it was Noah. And God called Noah. God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose me a servant, and I'm going to prepare an ark of salvation. And he gave Noah an impossible task of constructing a boat that was about the size of a small aircraft carrier. Uh, it's funny how God chooses men of low ability, of low caliber, to seemingly impossible situations. Come on, somebody, say amen. Yeah. Noah had faith. Noah had to decide that what God had told him, he believed it in his heart. Because, yeah. you know, despite all the ridicule, because people started making fun of him, who is this crazy man out there in the middle of nowhere? building a boat. He became a spectator site. But despite all the ridicule, despite all the amusement of the spectators, despite all the harassment, he pressed on. How many know we're pressing on here in Hayward? We're pressing on here in Northern California. The devil can do what he wants, but we're pressing on. Somebody say amen. See, the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was the first preacher in the Bible. As the crowds would come and laugh at him and mock him as he built an ark, he put his tool down and tell his, probably tell his sons, you keep on working. I'm going to take a 20-minute break. But he didn't go take a 20-minute break. He had some lemonade sitting in the shade. He would put down his tools and start preaching to that crowd and start telling them, listen, the judgment of God is coming. What you see me do here may be foolish in your sight, but, you know, the Bible tells us the preaching of the cross is foolishness and then the perish. And maybe he didn't speak about the cross, but he spoke about the ark. And the ark was made out of wood. Well, so was the cross. Huh? The, uh, the ark of salvation. Noah was so convinced of what the truth was that he was willingly 
He was willingly to the extent of being made a complete fool of for what he believed. He knew the truth. And he was committed to it so willingly to the point of being made a complete fool of. Come on, somebody. Say amen. And the Bible says that he completed the ark. He completed the ark. And the God, you know the story. I don't need to labor it. God chose animals two by two from all across the earth. Two by two, they gathered into the ark. Well, how are animals going to all of a sudden just walk in to the, to the, to the ark? Well, don't you think God can do that? If he made them, don't you think God can stir them and direct them? If God could direct your path and my path, God directed his father to come up here. God directed Pastor Sonny to come from New York to California. Don't you think God could direct a, a donkey to get on the boat? Come on, somebody. So all the animals, you know the story, all the animals gathered in the ark. And Noah gathered his family. He went into the ark. And the door remained open for six days. Come on, somebody. Right now, the door of mercy is open. Now, I'm going to share something that will blow your mind. Well, watch this. The door of mercy is a constant. In other words, if you backslide and leave God for five, ten years, if God hasn't returned, you can come back and get saved again. Huh? If you backslide for 20 years, and if the Lord tarries, you can come back. Why? Because the door of mercy is always open. Jesus said, I am the door. However, there's another door. That is the door of opportunity or the door of ministry. Paul the apostle described it as there's an effective door open to me, but there are many adversaries. He saw a door of opportunity, a door of potential, but that door doesn't stay open forever. Come on, somebody. That's why some people think they can leave, go back to the world, and come back to the church and pick up where they left off. Well, it doesn't work like that. Whereas the door of mercy is a constant, the door of ministry isn't. God has given us a certain amount of time to do what we must do. Why does the door of ministry change? Because God is moving. What God is doing today, he wasn't doing years ago. 75 years ago, maybe 100 years ago, it's not really a long time when you think of the span of eternity. The most effective way to spread the gospel to the most people at the, at the, at the time was through radio. 100 years ago, the most massive way to spread the gospel was through the radio, right? Then some years go by and television came on the scene. And so we saw Billy Graham and all these others preaching on television. Now, today, we have the internet. Uh, we have social media. Huh? But some Christians are using it. Well, I just had breakfast at Denny's. I'm over here having a taquito. Well, we should be using that uh, like, like your pastor does and like some of the guys do. They use it to share what's going on in their church. They use it for announcements. They use it for the gospel. And that stuff is getting out all over the place. Somebody say, man, what God is doing today, he's doing a new thing. Come on, somebody say, man. Noah preached. He was a preacher of righteousness. Somebody say, man. And the door remained open. Uh-huh. But nobody came in. That's the sad thing today is that we know the truth, and yet families are lost. Huh? 
Thousands were lost that day. Why? Because they wouldn't go into the door. Noah's predictions, right, of rain was something that wasn't natural. Most scholars believe in those days water didn't fall from the sky. They believe it came up through the ground. Huh? But he was predicting an event that was so fantastic, it boggled the human mind. You know, when you start sharing about the rapture, when you start sharing about the second coming, it blows most people's mind. They look at you saying, are you kidding me? Jesus is coming back. Trumpet of the Lord. Graves are going to open up. People are going to come up out of the grave. Because the Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive uh, shall be changed. And we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We call it the rapture. Are you ready for the rapture? Now, when we talk about the rapture, it's such a fantastic story, just like Noah's message. Noah, listen, water is going to fall from the sky. God's going to flood the earth. He's going to destroy all mankind. Come into the earth. What did they tell Noah? Shut up. You're crazy, Noah. What have you been smoking? That story was, they couldn't, they couldn't comprehend it. Paul the Apostle told us not to be ignorant regarding the Lord's coming. He said, listen, don't be ignorant regarding the coming of the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. There are warning signs all around us. Yes. Let me give you these warning signs. Number one, it's right here. The, you have it in your hand, the written word. Turn to Revelation chapter one. Let me give you the warning signs. Revelation chapter 1. Are you still with me? Watch this. Revelation chapter 1. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Hallelujah. Blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of this prophecy, meaning this book, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Huh? One of the biggest warning signs is right here. Huh? The Bible speaks about our Lord's return in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Watch ye therefore, for you know what, what hour the master cometh. Be ye ready. The Bible says in Peter, he's coming like a thief in the night. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Over and over we hear the, the, the word of God repeat the warnings. The word of God. And it's written there in black and white. Watch this. Uh, there's an author by the name of, let me see if I can put my glasses on for this, Morgan Robertson. Morgan Robertson wrote a novel, a fictional novel, and the name of the book was called Futility. Watch this. It was about an ocean liner that was foolproof, unsinkable. In the novel, he referred to his ship as the Titan. The book was about her maiden voyage, obviously similar to, very good, Titanic. Uh-huh. Obviously, both left from Southampton, England, sailed to New York, both in the novel and in real life, left in April. Both dimensions, because he, he gives the dimensions in his book, was very similar to Titanic. Now watch this. Both ships were stacked with lifeboats, and both ships experienced shipwreck at the exact same spot in the Atlantic. And both ships, in the book Futility, and of course with the Titanic, right, there was immense loss of life. He said, okay, 
well, what's the punchline here? What's the story here? Huh? The novel was written in 1898, 14 years before Titanic even sailed. There was a warning right there in written form, and it was totally ignored. We have it right here. Come on, somebody. The second one, the second warning sign is a sign of the times. We've been talking about that in the early part of this message. I mean, just look all around it today. Look how we're headed. Look at our society today. All the signs point. It's, have you ever noticed we're, we're moving more and more to a cashless society? Most of you don't carry any cash. Now, in order to keep the ministry going, we have to come up with creative ways to get you to give. Why? Because you don't bring cash to church. Huh? Oh, when you go to the ball game, you take cash. We go to the show, we take cash. Right? But times have changed. Now all of us use debit cards. Huh? So now the church says, okay, well, now we have to get you to give through the debit card, through your iPhone or your phone. Come on, somebody. Now you go in the store, you don't need cash to buy. It's, we're all moving towards all the signs of a one-world government, of a cashless society, the sign of the times. And the third warning sign is what I'm doing right now, the preaching of the word of God. Somebody say amen. It's the preaching of the word of God. But see, critics say, oh, you preachers are the same. You're just trying to frighten us. You're just trying to scare us. But we have to preach the truth. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We were kind of reminiscing, you know, your pastor and I have known him since he was born. So when we get together, we reminisce a lot about his mom, his dad. I used to take his dad with me. He got saved. His mom was our secretary there in the church. We have a lot of history, our two families. Then we lived in the same street for a season down in L.A. And, uh, and I don't know if he remembers my father-in-law. My, my in-laws were part of the mother church. And uh, in fact, uh, my, my wife's dad just passed away last Father's Day. Not this last one, before that. Anyway, at one time he was a head usher in our church. They sang in the choir. That's a picture. Even, but they, did, they didn't come out in the picture. Anyway, well, my father-in-law, in order to subsidize his income, did what a lot of Christians do today. He got a second job. He was working at Dodger Stadium. You know, selling hot, doing the, the, the stands, you know, working the, the, what do you call me, selling hot dogs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was working, but he didn't go out there and hot dog. He worked in the back supplying the hot dog vendors anyway. And I would tell him, listen, brother, brother, you're missing church. You're missing church. And, wow, yeah, but I got bills to pay. And, you know, so many people miss church. They don't come and hear the preaching of the word because you got to go to work. That bills to pay. My daughter plays soccer on Sunday. So one day I was moving. And we were moving. And I said, hey, listen, you have a small Toyota truck. Come and help me. He said, okay. And I got the men's home to come with the van. And those, all of us have moved, you know, some of those days where you got boxes, mattresses everywhere. So we're moving, the guy's in the home. And I told my father-in-law, I said, listen, you go to the back. My garage was way in the back in those days. And you, anything that you want from in there is yours. Just empty it out. Keep what you want. Well, he was happy with that. Because he likes to like to sell junk. So I left him in the garage in the back. Me and the four guys from the home were carrying out refrigerators, cobijas, mattresses. You guys know what I'm talking about. 
We had them strolling over the front yard, and it was a hot August day. The guys were sweating. Make a, make a you know, long story and a longer one. Uh, the guy said, Brother Philip, can, can we get some water? I said, well, you know, I had the water shut off. But let's go next door and ask my neighbor. Put the stuff down. So we go next door. Her name was June. She knew I was a minister. She was also a born-again Christian. She was, oh, Brother Philip, we're going to miss you and your family. I said, okay, well, thank you. I said, you can, can we turn on the water, what do you call it, the hose, and get some water? She says, oh, no, would you, would you nice boys rather have some soda? <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> she was in the back in my patio. I got Dr. Pepper, 7-Up. Are you older? Remember Royal Crown? Royal, yeah, there you go. Yeah, Royal Crown Cola, RC Cola. And, oh, okay, you're She says, help yourselves with these nice boys. So we go back there, these four guys. We sit under the patio. We're hitting the good stuff right there. Pepsi, root beer, Dr. Pepper. I forgot about my father-in-law. He comes walking out. We left the front door open. In L.A., you don't leave the front door open when you go for the mail. He goes in the house. We're just gone. In those days, we had no, you can't call, text, where are you? Hello? Uh-huh. He's walking around. He sees the keys are in the van. There's stuff everywhere, tea-colored televisions. You don't do that in L.A. Finally, we come walking out. And I, I, finally, I remembered him, and I got him a soda. And I see him from the driveway of my neighbors. I see him in the front of my house like this. And I yelled out his name. He turned around. You never saw a father-in-law so happy to see his son-in-law. Ah! 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 What's the matter with you? Where were you guys? I said, we went next door to get a soda. I got you one. See, I'm not cold-blooded. He said, well, I, I, I came over here. I went in the house. And you see, and he'd been missing church. He'd been missing church. Because I came in the house, and you guys were just gone. And, and there's a van. The keys are in the van. The TV's right there. The stereo's right there. And you guys were just gone. You guys were just gone. And, and I'm a little slow at thinking. I'm looking at him going, yeah, so? Well, you know. Then it dawned on me. I go, oh, I know what you thought. I say, you thought the Lord came. He goes, yeah. I said, and you thought... The Lord left you, yeah, and you thought the Lord took me. I turned to the guys in the home. You guys in the home? I turned to the guys in the home, and I said, I'm not a betting man. I don't believe in betting. I don't bet. But I would bet the family farm. This man is in church on Sunday morning. Amen. And there he was, sitting right there. Come on, somebody. He never worked another Sunday after that. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Now, as funny as that sounds, in reality, that's going to happen. 
Jesus said, two men will be working in the field. One taken, one left behind. Two women will be walking in the store, shopping. One taken, one left behind. Come on, somebody. What will you be doing when Jesus returns? Just, all you can do is look around today. Hear these messages. Look at the sign of the time. Jesus said, how come you can discern whether it's going to rain or be sunny or warm or cold, but you can't even discern the sign of the times? Your pastor was talking about hope. Hope is always referred to the future. We hope the, the, fog, the smog clears up. We hope the rain stops there in California. We hope, I hope I find a job tomorrow. I hope I complete the home. I hope I find me a husband. Whatever. Hope is always directed to the future. That's why the second coming is referred to as the blessed hope. Jesus said, uh-huh, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ shall come out first. His dad, my mom, out of the ground. Their bodies will be resurrected. Uh, and the Bible says, we that are alive that remain shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Oh, hallelujah. We shall be caught up to meet the Lord in heaven. What about you? If the rapture was to happen tonight, are you ready? Can you say without a doubt, without a shadow, without a doubt, there is no, there is no doubt in your mind that you know if the trumpet of the Lord was to sound, that you're ready. If there's some doubt there, well, tonight's the night to get, to get that assurance. Tonight is the night to confess your sin. Maybe this is your first time here. Or maybe you used to come to church, but you've been kind of slacking up a little bit. I understand. Or maybe you actually haven't been here for about a while. But I want to share with you one of the things I've learned in all these years of serving the Lord. I've learned that God is the God of another chance. That God is ready, he's willing, and he's able to give you another chance. Sometimes when your spouse or your family, the judge, the cops, the government, society will not give you another chance, he's ready, he's willing, and he's able. As every head is bowed, as the worship team makes their way, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want every head bowed, no one moving, no one talking. We're going to begin this first night by making a salvation altar call. I came here to Hayward. I want to see souls saved this week. I want to see people added to the church. I want to see people make a commitment. While every head is bowed, please, nobody moving. See, when you move, when Pastor Stephen is making the altar call, don't move. I'm going to tell you why. Because when we're preaching, we're in control. But when we start making that altar call, that's when the Holy Spirit starts taking over. And when you move during the altar call, it disturbs the Holy Spirit. Right now, as every born-again believer is praying, I want those to say, Brother Philip, pray for me. I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if the Lord was to come tonight or tomorrow or this week. I'm not even sure, but I want to be ready. I want to have that assurance that when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, and there's all kinds of signs. He says there'll be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in various places. You, you guys know these things. This isn't something new. You say, Brother Phil, pray for me. I want to ask Christ for the forgiveness of sin. I want all those that want prayer tonight. Maybe, maybe you've given your heart to the Lord, but you're not really committed. Uh, you're not really committed. Uh, 
Tonight you need to make a commitment to serve God. I want all those who want to pray, the count of three, to raise your hand. One, two, three. Lift your hand for prayer right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands are going up all over. You may put them down. Is there anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you, young man. Is there anybody else? Let's all stand. As the worship team gets ready to sing a certain chorus, I'm going to open up the altar. Now listen over here. Everybody that Jesus called in the Bible, he called them publicly. He called a guy named Zacchaeus, now from a tree. He called Bartimaeus from a corner begging for money.